All right, let's dig in to God's word this morning. Some of you grew up on the farm, so you are probably familiar with the thing that we're going to be talking about today. But a yoke, as you kind of see here behind us, uh, I don't know how hard it is for you to see. Uh, Some of you may not remember that, uh, but if you've been around cows or ox or or horses or any of those things, maybe you've seen something like this. Uh, a, A yoke is a wooden frame that would be put on the backs of animals to kind of put two and join two animals together. Um, But a yoke is also a mark of slavery, okay? Um, Oftentimes it was used for animals, but a lot of times when we see the word yoke talked about in the Bible, oftentimes it's talked about in referring to humans. Um, There was one pastor who preached on the verses that we're going to be studying today in Matthew 11, and he talked about how God helps to, to carry the load for us. And he had a good friend that came up to him after his message was over and said, friend, uh, let me tell you, uh, do you know why Jesus' yoke is light? And he said, well, you know, because God uh, helps carry the burden, I would suppose, the, the pastor said. And he said, no, sir. He said, uh, you see, when I was a boy, I used to drive ox, and uh, the yoke was never made balanced. He said, my dad's jokes were always heavier on one side than they were on the other. And he said, we would put a weak ox uh, alongside of a strong ox, and the light end would be on the weak ox, and the heavier end would be on the strong ox. And that's why Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, because the Lord's yoke is built in the same way, the man said, and the heavy end is on his shoulders. Friends, last week we saw that Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, they are upside down from the expectations of the world. But if we choose to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus, it's truly the only way that we can find the life that God intends for us to lead and live. And today we're going to see as Jesus contrasts what it means to either reject him and, and uh, to walk away from him or what it means to come to him. And the first of those leads to judgment and death while the other leads to rest. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, it's where we're going to be today in chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. You can take one to use today or take one as a gift uh, to take home if you don't own a Bible. But Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be at today. And we'll start there in verse 20 in just a a moment. Um, And if you're looking for Matthew, it's on the right side of your Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 20. See if I can get to it too. (laughs) Give you a moment to turn there. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. Verse, Verse 20, read along with me. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Keep that phrase in your minds. That's important. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that have been performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon 
uh, on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now those cities, maybe you're familiar with, but maybe you're not. Uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about them. So Jesus refers to the, the cities of Tyre and Sidon, and these would have been Gentile cities or non-Jewish cities that were nearby to those other cities that the people who were listening to Jesus were from, right? So that would be like Jesus saying uh, to, to us this morning, uh, as he's speaking to us, he begins to denounce uh, that you're from Washington. If, if the miracles are performed in Washington and Ponzer and Greenville were, were, were done in these other cities, um, they would have repented long ago. So Jesus says um, these non-Jewish cities that were nearby um, they would have represented to the people who were listening to Jesus the enemies of Israel. Now, Sodom, maybe you are a little bit more familiar with that. Um, that would have been seen as a city of the, the height of sin. And maybe you remember its destruction with its nearby city of Gomorrah in the book of Genesis for their great sin that was there. And so for the Jewish people in Jesus' day who were listening to uh, Jesus speak, when he spoke about these other cities, he, they would have seen them with contempt and they would have looked down on these cities. And so it adds to the punch of Jesus' words. He says that if he had performed the miracles that he had per performed in their cities, these enemy cities, these sinful cities, that they would have repented long ago. The base of Jesus' ministry up to this point had been focused in this region of Galilee, in these cities that he listed there, these cities of the people who were listening to him, these cities that he rebukes. There, Jesus had healed many people. He had healed the nobleman's son, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had, uh, had healed the centurion's servant, Jairus' daughter, the woman that had suffered from bleeding for 12 years, the blind men, and so many more. And yet, even with all of these miracles that Jesus had performed in these cities, what did it tell us there in verse 20? They had not responded with repentance. I mean, they had seen with their own eyes not only healing and casting out demons, but people being raised from the dead. And yet, even with all of these miracles, generally speaking, the people in those cities had rejected Jesus. Jesus had worked in those cities and they were expected to be the ones to repent. And because they didn't, Jesus says, woe to you because you are doomed. Now, friends, this should be a wake-up call for us this morning. Friends, because you can show up on Sunday mornings, you can serve, you can give, you can be in a life group, you can enjoy the idea of Jesus, and you can even be comfortable thinking, you know what, I've marked off my, my check boxes, and so I'm good to go. And yet, if you don't respond to Jesus with repentance of your sins, 
you are still lost. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only the fearful expectation of judgment, the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God, the writer of Hebrews says. Friends, we need to watch out. These people were seeing Jesus firsthand. And not just seeing him walk by, but they were seeing him perform miracles. And yet because of the hardness of their hearts, they would not repent and trust in him. This should be a warning for us. In the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea was comfortable. (laughs) They thought that they had done everything themselves and they were in need of nothing from anyone else. They had done it all themselves. They had accomplished it all themselves. But they missed the point that it wasn't about what they had accomplished, but it's about what Jesus has accomplished. They were trusting in themselves, and they needed to trust in Jesus. They thought that they had everything that they needed, but the reality was that they were in need of everything from Jesus. And so Jesus says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. He says, you say that you are rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. They're comfortable. But Jesus says, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel from you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover, you cover the sh- your shameful nakedness and, and salve for your eyes so that you can see. Jesus rebukes these people at Laodicea to repent and to trust in him. He, he goes on to say that he is knocking at the door and he is ready to, to open it and to come in to be with them. As If they would just open the door and welcome him, they, they would stop trusting in themselves and start trusting in him. Friends, I wonder if some of us need to hear the same rebuke this morning. Friends, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way that we can know God. And so we too, like the the listeners here in, in, in Matthew 11 and the church at Laodicea, we too need to repent and stop trusting in our own abilities and start trusting in Jesus. He goes on to tell us that Through him, it's the only way that we can know truly God. Look at verse 25 of Matthew 11. It says, at this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord in heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. For all these things have been committed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The ones that we would expect to be well-informed oftentimes actually aren't. 
and the ones that are like children who we would uh, not expect to be well-informed are the ones that Jesus actually say the truth has been revealed to. It reminds me of what Paul tells us. He says, where's the wise person? Where's the teachers of the law? Where is the philosophers of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews, they demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Whoa, Paul, you're stepping on my toes here. (laughs) Not many of you influential. Not many of you of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. The wise of this world, they may know all kinds of things about this world. They may even know things about God. But if they don't know God personally in and through his son Jesus and they are left stumbling foolish and shamed and lost Jesus says to watch out but then Jesus turns after these harsh warnings to the people who should have repented and should have been following him the people who should have known better After these harsh warnings, Jesus then invites all, all who are weary, all who are burdened to come to him and to find rest. Look at these last verses in Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let those words sink in this morning. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, after rebuking the crowds that had seen all of these miracles, Jesus, after telling the people there that those who should know better don't know better, but those who who we would think don't know are the ones who actually know, he says, all, all who are weary, all who are burdened, 
come to me and find rest. Jesus' invitation of calm is surrounded by, by turmoil and rejection and destruction. And these refreshing words that he gives bring us comfort as we read them. But they also show us yet another paradox of the gospel. Jesus says in one breath, come to me and you will find rest. And then turns around and says, take my yoke. <laughs> How can these two things be the same? How can they be both right? Those seem like opposites. Find rest and take the yoke. But these two seemingly opposite things are both true because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross. Because in and through the cross and through the grave, Jesus has freed us from the bondage and decay and the penalty that we have earned because of our sins. Not that we are free from suffering and pain and sickness and difficulties, right? We, we still have to suffer through some of the consequences of sin in and around us, around the world. But we have been set free from our master of sin by the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus offers us his yoke, which is easy, not effortless, but rather appropriate. It's light. And this indeed is good news. Jesus invites us to come and to find rest from our burden to sin. For he has carried the weight on himself. By his wounds we are healed, Peter tells us. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, addresses the same paradox of the gospel. And we find what Paul says about this in chapter 6 and verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are under the law and not under grace? By no means. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slaves... You are slaves to the one that you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Friends, when we are slaves to sin, we are burdened by its weight and its consequences. And it leads to eternal separation from God. It leads to death. But Jesus says, come, all who are weary. Come, all who are burdened and find rest. He offers to set us free so that we can become slaves, not to sin, but now to righteousness, which leads to everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Paul, he tells us how to accept this invitation to rest, and this invitation to accept the yoke of Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 6, in verse 2, he says this. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Friends, in baptism, when we 
by faith and repentance meet Jesus in baptism. Paul tells us that Jesus puts sin to death in us. The power and the work that Jesus has done on the cross and through the grave. When we are buried with Jesus in baptism, we are then raised with him to a new life in and through Jesus. We are set free from the burden of sin when we, by faith and repentance, are joined together with Jesus in baptism. We can count ourselves dead to sin. And if we are dead to sin, that means that we are alive to God. In and through Jesus, Jesus says, all who are weary, all who are burdened, come to me and find rest. Friends, some of you today are walking around burdened, weary by the sin that you are living for. Some of you today, sin is still your master You are living as as instruments of wickedness and your destination is death, is eternal separation from God. But Jesus is inviting you today to come to him and to find rest for your souls. He offers you his yoke. It is easy. And his burden that is light. Will you come today and find rest Will you come today and allow Jesus to put sin to death in your life? And if you're ready today, I'd love to talk with you or call or text me anytime. But for those of us who have already found rest in Jesus, Paul gives us our therefore. (laughs) He tells us what we are to do next. And this is what he says in verse 12 of Romans 6. He says, therefore, Because, right, because we have put sin to death through Jesus by faith and repentance and baptisms, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument, not of wickedness, but an instrument of righteousness, for sin is no longer your master, because you are not under the law, you are under grace. Friends, if you have died to your sins in and through Jesus, you are now slaves, servants of righteousness. So let's start living like it. Let's stop allowing sin to be our master again. We have wasted too much of our life already letting sin rule us. Let's stop being instruments of wickedness. Let's put sin to death. Let's fight against the flesh. Let's fight against sin. God has given us his word. We saw that a few weeks ago to lead us and to guide us and to teach us and how to be instruments of righteousness. God, though, has not only given us his word, he has given us his Holy Spirit living in us when we meet his son in baptism to strengthen us and to equip us to live for God. We, can, we, we walk by the Spirit to not gratify the desires of the flesh, 
But not only has God given us his word and God's given us his Holy Spirit, but God has also given us each other. That we can walk side by side through this messy thing called life. We say this all the time that we need each other because we are better together. And we get that from, from God's word, specifically from, from Hebrews chapter 10, because the writer of Hebrews, he tells us there that we are able to fight against sin, against the desires of the flesh. The only way that we can do that is with the help of each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is how we do it. Not giving up the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, here at Journey Church, we connect with each other by building strong relationships, by walking side by side through the messiness of life with prayer and accountability and encouragement. Friends, we need to pray for and with each other. We need to encourage each other and we need to hold each other accountable. This is how we, as Hebrews says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. This is how, as Paul says in Romans, we learn to be instruments of righteousness. Here at Journey Church, we connect with each other in life groups. And man, we have six life groups that are, are great. And we were, me, and, me and Billy and Jeff were talking about that this morning. And he said, man, I, I don't know how the rest of the life groups are doing it. We've got uh, two, two amazing uh, group leaders in Kevin and Jeff. He said, i I, they, the rest of the groups must have, uh, have great leaders too because uh, we got two great ones. So <laughs> he, didn't know, he didn't know how the rest of the groups can handle it. And then we do. We have some great leaders in all of our life groups and we have some great people in all of our life groups. But you know, there's also some amazing groups outside of Journey Church here in Washington in the surrounding areas. And look, we don't care whether you connect with one of our groups or another group, we care about you. And because we care about you, we want you to connect with other followers of Jesus, no matter where it is or how it is. Get plugged in, if you're not, to other believers outside of Sunday morning, the other six days of the week. Don't give up meeting together. Connect with others this week. We need each other so that we cannot let sin rule our lives anymore. We are those who have died to it. How can we continue to live for it? Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, come to me and find rest. Jesus offers rest to us for our souls today. So come to him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And then after you come to Jesus, stay connected with other followers of Jesus so that we can learn to become instruments of righteousness so that we can become people who live lives that are pleasing to God. We pray with me today? Father, thank you. Thank you for not only holding us accountable and calling us to repentance, but Father, thank you for offering us rest. 
Father, we need both of these. We need to to see our sin and the damage that it has done between our relationship with you and our relationships with others. And Father, we need to repent and turn to you and trust in you. Father, I fear that so often I become comfortable. I think that I can do it all myself. And so Father, would you remind me to put my trust only in you. Father, there are those who are here who are weighed down by sin. Father, would you lead them to to you to come and find rest for their souls? But Father, for those that are here who are burdened not just by sin, but maybe, maybe just by hurt, loss, Father, would you remind them that they too can come to you to find rest. Father, you tell us in your word that you are near the brokenhearted. So, Father, would you remind us that we too can come to you to find rest. But only through your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you not only offer us rest, but you give us your word to guide us and you give us your Holy Spirit to encourage and strengthen us. And Father, you give us each other that we can learn more day by day what it means to follow you. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And we ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.